What can you learn from Beale Street, the melting pot of music? Stay tuned and find out. Okay, here's the question. How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is The Dark Horse Entrepreneur. My name is Tracy Brinkman. What is up? What is up? What is up, my Dark Horse friends and family? Welcome back to your weekly dose of Beale Street to Hollywood learning. I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman. And you? Well, that, my friend, is infinitely more important. You are a driven entrepreneur or one in the making. Either way, you're here because you're ready to start, restart, kickstart, and just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal, or business tips and results in order to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And man, do we have a cool-ass episode for you today. Today, Diane Steinberg herself is going to be sharing so many amazing stories and lessons from not just her life, from the lives of her family and the influencers from across multiple generations, teaching lessons like learning from alleyways, becoming an expert in your craft, the importance of getting uh, input from others, and so much more. Plus, I'm going to let you in on a sneak peek on next week's interview episode guest, who is going to help us answer this simple question. Who is really the ultimate law enforcement authority in each state? Oh, yeah, right? And as per usual, the Dark Horse Corrals are chock full of personal business and marketing G-O-L-D spilling from every corner of the Dark Horse Entrepreneur HQ. So let's get to the starting gates and go. Alrighty, my Dark Horse friends and family, today's guest is none other than Diane Steinberg, a.k.a. Diane Steinberg-Lewis. Now, Diane is a recording artist. She's a singer and songwriter, a pianist, producer, and arranger. She's a graduate of Michigan uh, State, was it Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Diane began her career as a choir director and an accompanist in Battle Creek Central High School, but soon went on to record with Atlantic Records, ABC Records. She even co-starred as Lucy with Peter Frampton in the Bee Gees. She was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds in RSO's Universal Studios movie, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, I just dated myself because that's like circa 1978. Now, Diane has recorded multiple albums. She even recorded a gospel album with World Records and Rejoice label. Soon after, she went on to raise her family with her husband, Kenny Lee Lewis from the Steve Miller Band. All that said, Diane is a teacher that entertains and an entertainer that teaches. All right, Diane, you know what? I've been so looking forward to this conversation. Welcome to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Tracy, for having me today. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. I was lucky enough, as we were just chatting about, to uh, interview your husband not too long ago. And uh, for those that don't know, Diane Steinberg-Lewis is married to the guitarist of the Steve Miller Band, uh, Kenny Lee Lewis, who was a great conversation and a great interview. Be sure you go check that out. But we're not here to talk about Kenny today. Right, well, we're here we to end talk. up talking about him a little bit. Well, I, I'm sure he'll sneak in there. He's a part of your life, right? Yeah, <laughs> but we're yeah. here. We're here to listen to what all is going on or has happened in Diane's life. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up for a few minutes. 
And I'm going to let you tell your story, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs that brought you to where you are and why you love doing what you've done so much. Well, um, you know, I've sent you lots of pictures, which, of course, you're going to going to be sharing. Absolutely. Nice montage together. And uh, but uh, there was no way for me not to be in music because my dad was an orchestra leader and his father was a keyboard player. In fact, my grandfather, Milton Steinberg, uh, was born on Beale Street and there was no way for him not to be absorbed in everything that Beale Street was. He was an illegitimate son of, uh, of, uh, of Nanny Taylor, who was Nanny Gates, and a uh, German guy by the name of, well, I, you know, we're still kind of going through some Ancestry.com stuff about that, but we okay. know, <laughs> you know, but uh, and he was from Germany. And uh, uh, there's a mix-up in the story about my grandfather, I, you know, I, I don't know if it was his grandfather or his father that wanted to take him to Arkansas and raise him as a Jew, but he was he was born on Beale Street and uh, he stayed with his mama and mm -hmm. his grandmama. So uh, uh, you know, he, and I think he had a Baptist background, but he went at ten years old working at Pong's Laundry. Um, which was also on Bill Street. I mean, there was Lansky Brothers. You know who Lansky Brothers is, right? No, no. Come on. You know those suits that Elvis Presley used to wear? The oh, yes, yes. Okay, that's right. That's right. Baby, that is Lansky Brothers. And they are still in business today uh, and, and at the Peabody Hotel. So if you ever go to the Peabody Hotel, you got to go in the Lansky Brothers. But uh, uh, all the blues and jazz guys down there used to wear Lansky Brothers suits. They didn't dress like the, you know, casual right it was, it was head to toe for them spick and span and sharp as attack so uh elvis was very influenced by that bunch and i'm getting out of my uh, out of the sequence of the generation right sure now. sure but uh that would have been my dad's generation and elvis was younger than my dad but let me back up to milton again um as he came up on bill street uh, he, at 10 years old, was working at Pong's Laundry because his, his mother and his grandmother were upstairs. But, you know, the music that was happening there, um, I mean, I don't have to tell you, we know it was the place where they say it was the birth of the blues, mm -hmm. but uh, actually the birth of rock and roll. But um, he found his way at 21 years old, and, and those years leading up to 21 years old, playing piano at the um, Pee Wee Saloon. Pee Wee was an Italian immigrant who he, he he was actually a hobo, jumped off the train and and tried to clean up down at the Mississippi River. He only had a few nickels in his pocket. And one of the black guys came down from Bill Street and saw him. And, you know, he wasn't discriminated against because of his accent, because, you know, black folks just, you know, especially during that time you had an accent, they didn't care. Come on, let's take you up to Bill Street. Right. And he was like tattered and torn and everything. But he took those few nickels he had. And um, my brother, whoever he was, taught him. This is in his book now. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you right out of the book, if you haven't read about Debbie C. Andy. But um, took him up to Beale Street and um, uh, uh, learned how to uh, gamble 
And so he gambled his way up to a fruit stand, gambled, gambled his way into a new suit, gambled his way up to a store, brought his family from Italy, had Pee Wee's Market, and then he had the saloon. And Pee Wee's Saloon is where all of the keyboard players and the musicians used to hang out. Every keyboard player, I mean, if they were from New Orleans, they had to come through Memphis. You know, Memphis. Right. You know how. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I know you know because you know music, right? You're guitar right. player. And, right? and for and for just 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 briefly for those that are hearing this that don't know, Beale Street, and you alluded to this, is like the birthplace of the blues, right? And as we all know, and we're very aware, blues and country is kind of that the the jump off point for yeah. rock and roll as we know it today. So well, we're talking about music incarnate. You just being yeah. born and evolving over time. And it, Beale Street was where it was happening. Yeah, it was born down there. And when, listen, when W.C. Handy finally got to Memphis, Tennessee, and he heard my grandfather over there playing the piano as he heard lots, but he asked him to go out on the road with him after he heard him play. But I got to tell you a little bit more about Pee Wee's Saloon because all the musicians used to go there and they'd wait for somebody to give them a call, you know, or they find out, hey, they need a, uh, a, a saxophone player at so-and-so, but everybody would go there. And of course, I guess they spent their money before they even had the gig, you know, <laughs> gambling and everything. Right. But, but W.C. Handy, uh, because he was um, a trained, ed educated musician, he knew how to read, he knew how to write scores and everything. So he would go down into the alleyways and listen to the people who on their homemade guitars are, you know, I mean, we see today when we go to the NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants, there we will go to another building. Of course, we didn't go last year because of, of uh, the, the yeah. pandemic, but you can go and see guitars made from cigar boxes, from oil cans, from, I mean, you Everything, know, when yeah. you got to make music, you're going to make it any way you can, right. you know. But uh, he would go in the, in the um, uh, alleyways and he would hear them and he would write down their music, you know, bring the little hooch and everything and write down their music so that he could preserve it for them mm. because, you know, they didn't have tape recorders and I don't think, you know, I go, well, well, maybe uh, they didn't have talkies then. That's for sure. Correct. So anyway, so my grandfather came up around all of those people in the filtering of all the musicians that pass through. And so when he met my grandmother, Ida Fox, she, had, she was a, a widow of, um, of a, a, a Clouston and uh, they were millionaires and they're in a, mil a book of millionaires of people of color, mm -hmm. but he saw her. And uh, he said, that's going to be my wife. And uh, <laughs> I think he bet on it, you know, but uh, and it came to be. So he had 10 more kids with her, most of them boys. So you had my my grandmother, Ida Fox Steinberg, with 15 kids. And needless to say, yeah, yeah, she she died pretty early. She died when I was born. But um, most of the boys in that family and two of the girls, one in particular, Nan, my aunt Nan was the oldest of the Steinberg children. And uh, she was a singer and she sang with uh, Bunny Berrigan. They came, they got her Bunny Berrigan. And I, you know, I should have written down the names of the band that picked her up to go out on the road, but she ended up with Fats Waller. So the boys were coming up and they wanted, you know, there was music in the house because grandpa still played the piano mm -hmm. and he wasn't too long with W.C. Handy, I have to add, because he didn't read. And I had always heard uh, that the uh, 
the, the, the rag piano players always played the black keys. That's pretty interesting for my grandfather <laughs> to also be on Beale Street. But um, so uh, the boys, my father played trumpet and uh, he taught his brothers how to play. And so we had Uncle Morris who played saxophone. Uh, we had uh, Uncle Wilbur who did end up playing the bass also, but he was the singer in the family. And then we had my father, Luther Steinberg, who was recorded by Sam Phillips and Leonard Chess. They changed his name, of course, you know, uh, they didn't abide by the Steinberg. They wanted Lou Sargent. Ah. So he was Lou Sargent. And uh, they went into the studio uh, and uh, with the uh, newborn family. And my Uncle Morris was on that. And my daddy was a died in the wool jazz man. And he he told me, he says, you know what? I walked out of that session and, you know, they had a Mid-South hit. And so they, they went and, and uh, promoted that. But he said, after that, I didn't look back. I mean, and Elvis had opened up for him on occasion prior to uh, uh, my father recording with Sam Phillips and Leonard Chess. I was shocked to find that out. I mean, I knew Elvis was around mm-hmm. uh, and I knew that Dad was supposed to become what Elvis became, you know, but it was mm-hmm. like right in the cracks of when the music was about to change. You know, a lot of jazz musicians didn't really go for the blues, you yeah. know, you know, they, and uh, they were they were focused on their 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 style. Well, you know, it's it's it might as well be um, uh, Chopin or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So my dad, you know, he would say, I want you to be a professional musician. Okay, so I had classical piano at uh, uh, my babysitter's uh, father was a minister. So we'd go up the street and we didn't have a piano in the house. There was only trumpets and and bands coming over to the house. So uh, my my babysitter, her father was a reverend and that they had a broke down piano and they were just playing around with it. And one day my dad heard me doing something on the piano I was five years old and he went, whoa, okay. So I, I guess she's got it, something. So let's get behind it. So I had lessons mm-hmm. and uh I also had dance lessons and all that. I, I really wanted to be a dancer, but the music was always there. It was just, you know, I, I studied it. I got, I put in way more than my 10,000 hours. I wasn't even thinking of 10,000 hours. Kenny told you about the 10,000 hours that a musician should put in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just, I know that, uh, I know that when it's the one thing that you want to do and it's the first thing on your mind, and the and the instrument you head for after school, then you're in. Yeah, you know it. It's uh, you don't even have to debate it. And I'm not saying my mother didn't yell at me to practice, you know. And I had so much native ability that, um, and I could write songs and make up and and, and improvise, you know. Nice. Um, you know, she had to stay on me because sometimes, and I found lots of. Uh, I did become a, a teacher later on after. Mm-hmm. Uh, after my movie and record career and everything. But I found that the, the kids that where it comes naturally to you, you're going to have to be careful because uh, you have to guard it. That's very precious. And uh, if you take it for granted and, and don't uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying if you're a prodigy or something like that, prodigies have to be careful too. I've, I've known a couple of them and later on in life, they, they uh, it's, it's like child actors. You know, you yeah. know, 
Yeah. It, um, it's, it's a time where the adults around them have got to be very sensitive mm-hmm. to how to bring them along. Right. Or, or their, uh, their heart will be broken later on in some form or fashion, or it'll be difficult for them, or, or, um, people won't accept them, uh, as they make the transition to adulthood. So sure. you really have to nurture these, these things. They're precious. Should not be taken for granted. And even saying that all of you club owners out there <laughs> <laughs> who paid so much uh, the, the last year or three or five or 10 years ago, it's, it's time for musicians to get paid. I mean, they bring you joy. They yeah. make the wedding, right? Hey, man, I hear you. you <laughs> they know, make it, the radio. It's I mean, funny. It, it's funny you mentioned the the don't take it for granted thing. And uh, in, in the music world, I, I've known a number of musicians uh, across my time. Yeah. And uh, I was, uh, we started a little garage band in my teenage years, right? Very rock and roll. We're talking about the, the age of the Whiskey A Go-Go and Motley Crue was starting to blow up, right? And yeah. uh, the drummer from our little band, um, his mom, had a band called Donna Thomas and the Country Fire. And I got the roadie for them uh, for a while. And I wasn't even legal to go into some of the clubs that they're at, but what, no one asked. But so um, like Kenny now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I got to see some very skilled uh, men and women uh, who had had the chops, right? But they yeah, took yeah. it for granted. They're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I can be high and I can be drunk and I can still perform. And they could. However, to me, that was them taking it for granted, right? It was like, dude, you could do so much more. If I had you just a a cup of your skill, right? I would be, I'd be on seventh heaven. And like you said, there's some folks that they just, they have that gift, whatever you, whatever it happens to be, you know, music or writing or art, and they squander it because it's too easy for them. Well, if they had had a cup of the common sense and and intuition that you had when you saw that at the time, you know, they, they might be able to survive some of these things. Yeah. I, I don't know for people who are out there that don't understand, there's so much, I mean, you go entertainment, oh, I'm having fun, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of hours that are put in, there's disciplines that must happen, and for you musicians out there, you see the young musicians nowadays, and these people on the internet, and all the stuff they're mm-hmm. doing, you know, and you know, now we don't need a bass player and a keyboard player because you can do it all yourself. And, you know, right. Yeah. That can be a problem too, because right. is always not the best. You know, Prince used to play all of his own instruments, and Kenny can do it too. But you get to a point where you know maybe you need a different point of view on on this one. You yeah. Because it, it'll work just so long, and now you have to bring in other colors and and things that you never thought about yeah absolutely right absolutely right so it's like i i kind of i mean i see the function even on my phone it's like oh no we're not doing that my this is my cousin (laughs) um i was going to show you i was going to pick it up and say garage band you know (laughs) Uh, and it does come in if you want to have a seed of an idea and put it down you Mm -hmm. know and uh but in the old days, when you had to have a band, I mean, there are people who are booking arenas and all they're doing is like this, this, you know, this, yeah. what was DJ stuff, you know? I got to tell you, I do like it. I'm, I'm not old fashioned in any way. I, I look at anytime a new thing comes in, I'm like right in there because, and I learned from my dad because 
as a jazz man, and I'm not saying all jazz men do this, but he was so critical about rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And then my uncle Louie, who, who went on to join in Booker T and EMGs and co was a founding member of that group with uh, Steve Cropper um, and um, um, uh, Booker T, of course. <laughs> and um, Al, oh my God. I'm I'm definitely Ron. I hear my cousin speaking on the phone like and I keep pushing it over. <laughs> but um uh what was I saying? Uh oh uh my dad was very opinionated uh mm -hmm. about things and um I don't think in art uh, you you know your own taste but you I don't think you should be um I think you need to jump into all of it because it's part of the toolbox. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, look, I, you might not like what it says. I mean, I don't. I think Cardi B is a beautiful woman. I don't like her and the Stallion with what they were doing on that last Grammy thing. But you know, I still like the music. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I was lucky enough. My uh, growing up, my dad was all about polka and country and western and military songs you were talking like the green beret <laughs> right i don't know if you remember that album when it came out uh that album i think got played 24 7 for about a year in my house <laughs> you're a polka, polka oh my baby. gosh and then on the other side you had my mom who was all about elvis and loretta lynn and tammy Wynette. you know so it was a little a little a little more forward and so i got to hear all this amazing music which i think was probably great because as i grew up, I kept taking influences from wherever it was, classical music, hip hop music, you know, I, I you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll flip on a country West just to see what's going on. Okay, not for me, and, and then move on. But like you were saying, I think you take it in, right? You take, take it in. I call myself a mood music kind of guy. So whatever mood I'm in, there's music for that mood, right? Yeah, if I'm in an angry mood, man, I'm going to put on some angry music, right? Some head banging, hard rocking kind of stuff. And if I'm in more mellow, chill, maybe an ethereal mood, maybe some of the old Prince stuff comes into play, right? And, you know, it, it, it covers that whole gamut. And I think it's, and I'm just, I'm a, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. I think it stimulates something inside of you. It right, does. that that creative flow, that that creative connection to whatever it is you believe in, and you're like, ah, now, now I can do whatever it is I'm setting out to do. You know, uh, to to have a challenge like, oh, that's nothing, I can do that. Well, then go and do it. Go. Thank Try you. Try it out. Put on those shoes. Wear that coat. Walk around it and go. Hmm. Okay. What What would I do? It's it's it become. Look, have you seen the commercials recently? Songwriters, uh, you have to really um, try it out because you don't know what style of music. I mean, I'm hearing commercials and seeing people our age in the commercials like rapping and bopping and whatever yeah. and, and doing the twerk. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they were twerking. But anyway, <laughs> but it's like so. And, and that's the same thing for actors. The more you know how to do, whether it's riding a horse, mm -hmm. skating, singing, uh, playing an instrument, you're just, you're the perfect person, especially if you can act, yeah. that can try out for actually anything. You know, you might have to be in a cowboy movie. You might yeah. have to be in a, in a alien movie, which is 
Hey, me and you, we could we could do that. We could do that. Aliens yeah. and cowboys. I've seen that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. But um, so I, I was talking about that. Uh, I was watching my dad and kind of getting mad, and I was kind of digging Elvis, you know. And you know, you're in the house where your dad with the dark hair. Uh, the guy over there now with the dark hair that used to be with the blonde hair <laughs> that copied your dad who with the dark hair and I'm seeing the connections and you go like other people are going like who knew but you know like uh so that's my little story you can check it out you can <laughs> see Elvis with his blonde hair I got pictures <laughs> and I still liked Elvis he you know there have been some stories uh especially coming from down south because I'm from Memphis and uh moved to Detroit after that but um you know, we heard all kinds of things, you know, uh, about things that he supposedly said that were racist and all that. And it's mm -hmm. like, I've heard other people said that he didn't say it. And uh, some that said, Colonel Parker said it and said he said it. So, you know what, I'm going to bless everybody right now because I'm I'm still digging the, the movie. I, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and saw clam bake and I went, <laughs> isn't that an Elvis? So I turned it on and I went, I know he was glad to get out of that format, you know? Oh, I bet. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so um, I, I hope I'm not talking too off the wall right no, now. No, no, this is gold. This is gold. I think there's so many there's so many nuggets from back behind there. I mean, obviously, you've had some pretty significant influences going way back, which is why yeah. I wanted to share the stories. It's like, you know, the Beale Street. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, right, that's why I wanted to make sure everyone knew what the importance of Beale Street was in your, your come up. And I mean, you went into a, a music career and you did the movie uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with yeah. Bee Gees and Peter Frampton. And, and anyone who hasn't seen it, take a moment, go check it out. It's a fun movie. It's super cheesy. It's classic <laughs> 80s yeah. pop music. Or was it 70s? It was 76. It wasn't was it? 78. 78. Okay. We I was close. 77. You're close. You're real close. Yeah. but So that was an experience. And <laughs> uh, when I think, well, you know, hey, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, some people love it, some people, or whatever, you know, we got all kinds of movies like that. But uh, my grandkids will be able to look at me and mm -hmm. it's, it's something that goes forward. So that's fine, you know, uh, and, and, it, and it makes me happy. I, I made a lot of friends on that movie and, uh, and uh, you know, and new people. I knew Billy Preston before we even did the movie. He was a friend of my mother's because mm -hmm. my mother was a disc jockey in Detroit. So she was also a disc jockey in Memphis when my dad was, well, he did the band first. Mm -hmm. And then he let my mother come and sit. He said he let my mother come and sing with the band. And then she did the cha-cha around the room after she sang, whatever lonely wants. So, you know, the, I will always do that song in my show to talk about the family. So, nice. uh, but then he would say, you know, she couldn't sing that well. Uh, so anyway, whatever, dad. Uh, so she went on and <laughs> she went on in radio and, uh, Uncle Louie was with Stax, Booker T and MGs were taking off. So you got music and radio live, uh, composing. It, it was just all in the family, you know. Nice. And at some point, uh, a station, my mother was known as Martha Jean 
the queen. The queen. And it, it started off as a joke, but um, they were calling her Princess Premium stuff because the disc jockeys all dressed up in Indian um, uh, Native American outfits, costumes. Mm -hmm. okay. And they were a Goodwill station where at first it was an all-white station and then uh, uh, Bert Ferguson and David James and Christine Spindell, another lady that you want to, you want to look into her background because of the conversation between her and Bert Ferguson after having WDIA play classical live symphonic music every afternoon mm -hmm. and then taking crop reports and playing some, you know, they would play uh, maybe some uh, Duke Ellington or something, but everything else was Doris Day and whatever. Well, they were going broke, man. They were getting ready. They were on their way out. And so on a conversation back from a radio, uh, the, you know, how they have like NAM, like a convention. Sure. And so uh, while everybody was sleeping in the back of the car, Christine, and we interviewed her. She's in her 90s now, still living. But she said, uh, I was in the front seat. And, uh, uh, Bert Ferguson said, you know what? I, I think. Um, I think I'm going to change the format of the radio station and I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go to, uh, uh, they called it race music in those days, you know, sure. let anybody hear it, but he says, I'm changing it. And she went, Oh my God. Why was she so excited? Because she, Christine Spindell had a mother and two aunties were badasses. I mean, they were career women. I mean, her mother got married, but the aunts never got married, but they talking about equality and everything, women's issues. It was like, no. And the dad stood behind her and they, their minds were open. And she told me the story. I've said it on a couple other podcasts, but I'm going to tell it, tell it again. She said that one day when she went to grade school and some of the, the kids were uh, teasing some of the little black kids that were coming back from school and they were calling them pickaninnies and all this other stuff. Mm. And so she went, well, I, I guess I'm, so she did it. Well, her father heard that and he yanked, I'm going to say yanked her ass. Yeah, right. No, that's fine. <laughs> so my dad would have done her ass on that. He said, you come and he took her in and he, and he said, my dad looked down at me and put his finger in my face. And he said, listen, you are not to ever do that or say, I don't want to hear you say any of these people have it hard enough than you out there. And I don't want to hear it anymore. And mm -hmm. the auntie stood behind. And uh, so when it was time to change the format, she uh, was a grown person having grown up with that in her family, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. and stole her from another company because she was good with finances and stuff. And so when Bert Ferguson decided that it was going to be, uh, uh, they were going to change the format to an, uh, then they didn't say African American in those days, colored. Right. I'm sure they said color. Sure. And she went, Oh, this is exciting. So there's a book called Wheeling on Beale that, uh, you can read. Um, uh, and, uh, the, one of the engineers that used to be at WDIA wrote the book talking about how it all got started. Nice. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, Rufus Thomas, who was a recording artist, he came on as a DJ. And then Christine said, then one day this guy came in because he had heard that we were trying to change the format, you know, in the black community, in that church community, that, that, that info comes fast, baby. Yeah. You know, so, uh, 
So in comes this guy with this guitar in from the rain. And, and uh, they said, what is, what is your name? And he said, well, my name is BB. I mean, he, he gave us his, his, his <laughs> so he had his guitar and there's a picture in uh, Memphis blues again, which is a picture book by uh, photographer Ernest Withers that has a picture of BB with his guitar as a young man, his foot is up on the amp and that guitar is named Lucille. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they didn't even know it. He said, we didn't even know about that music. And I went, really blues? Well, you know, they, they didn't go down to Bill street that much. Right. You know? So BB started playing and they, they went, my God, you know, next thing, you know, Nat D Williams, who was a scholar was on there. BB King, well, Rufus Thomas. And then, uh, as time went by, they added a woman, uh, Willa Monroe and she had a homemaker show. Cause you know, Women had to do homemaker shows. That's right. Oh, yeah, right. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I know how that was. <laughs> and uh, and she was a, a a very curvy, mucho curvy woman. Okay. But <laughs> she would get sharp head to toe, man. I mean, furs. And Miriam Anderson used to come, and they and of course she cooked for everybody. So uh, when they had a contest that my mother didn't win the first time, but Christine Spindell was there when my mother was in line to audition for the new woman that was coming on because, um, um, because uh, Willa Monroe was, her health was failing. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, you know, I left after I was with Versia Star McKinney is the one who we chose, but then her husband was a preacher and took her away. He didn't want her on radio. Well, my dad didn't want my mother on radio, but when she got the call, the men at the radio station and some of these guys, you got to understand when you were in radio, most of these radio personalities, because they were personalities, they were also entertainers. Yes. Most of them came from, um, uh, oh my God, the, the, the bands, the, um, they were comedians, vaudeville ish, you know, yeah, you have to have that gift of gab. And who wanted to hear a preacher at that point? Nobody wanted to do that. <laughs> Who wanted to hear somebody? The next record is, you know, so they would come on and they would rhyme. So, you know, like, like rap is not new. Right. I mean, when we first heard uh, Muhammad Ali said, I'm going to sting, uh, fool like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Well, that was rapping. I mean, that's not that was going on on most street corners in any ghetto, anywhere all over the world, wherever they are. You know, anytime you're going to tell stories and make it rhyme, baby, you know, <laughs> it's not new. So when you got your DJs and they're coming up with different names and they had given my mother this name, Princess Premium Stuff. And that was the same show, the Goodwill Review, which was a live show that they did annually to raise money for kids to get uniforms and build the baseball fields and, 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 and help out people in need because that's what they became. WDIA was Goodwill Radio. I mm. mean, I was listening to a film and I'll send it to you. You don't have to put it on, but uh, uh, a person who did, uh, Carolyn Travis, uh, did, did a documentary called Airplay, the rise and fall of the, the disc jockey or, or, or rock and roll. That's what it was. But it was first call, uh, when they released it as a pilot as the DJ revolution. And I think they should have kept that because it's the DJs. They were the ones 
who was a social media back then. I mean, my mother, I saw this film and she gave me the outtakes where my mother said, we got a call. Somebody was trying to find their husband. We found husbands. We found wives who had run off. Did we find out in the community? But one guy called because so his wife called and asked. He was at a party and they wanted to know if uh, they could find his teeth. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and they found him and they got the call, you know. So it's like, uh, and one thing that I've learned, and this is the same thing for music. And I know that we have the entrepreneurs out there. You know, listen, um, if when you can come up with something that makes people's lives easier, it's like a solution to something that all of us have been having difficulty with. That's that's a purpose. That's a servant. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, you know, I know many people I'm going to write a song and I'm going to make a million bucks. Well, some people just wrote a song and never thought about making a million bucks and they made it. So, you know, when it comes from the right place, I just, I just have to believe that, uh, whatever you do, yeah, you're entertaining if you're on, on, on radio. Yeah. You're, you're, you entertain. That's I try. The, yeah. But that's not the only reason for it. You sell mm-hmm. and we have to sell because we got to get time, buy time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not in what you're doing because see, we got, we got this new thing. Now we can do our own thing. Praise the Lord. So (laughs) when you're talking about, you know, 50,000 Watts and you'll see KLW or wherever. There's money in there. Yeah. You know, you got to sell time and get the sponsors, you know, TV and all that. But she says, okay, entertainment sales, but you have to inform people. You're now listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Mm-hmm. You have to educate people. And then you have to be there in what she was doing with talk radio. You have to lift people up. People mm-hmm. need to feel better or have direction. Yeah. And, and Tracy, what you're doing, I heard Kenny's uh, um, interview with you. And I heard uh, the other one that you sent me and it started out all lighthearted. But I'm telling you, uh, musicians out there. Uh, we have a generation now that's uh, forging their own way, go West, young man, young woman, whatever, in this social media, and they're feeling, figuring out how to have their own labels and everything like that. Right. And, and I, I just ask this of everyone that's doing well, um, how are you going to give back is, mm-hmm. is, a, is, a, is a big deal. Because if you take, 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 I, I, you might be getting rich and real happy that you're finally there. And maybe that's where your fear is that you're, you are afraid of not having. Right. So, but, but uh, look in the old days, and I can name a lot of record companies, you know, uh, that uh, took all the publishing of their artists and, uh, or went down on Beale street and took the publishing of all those artists or even put, stamp their name on things that was not theirs because they didn't know how to do a copyright form. Right. So um, one of the things that I did, and when I met Kenny, I showed him a copyright form and I would put them up on our bulletin board. So when the musicians would come over, you'd be surprised how many fantastic musicians were. What's that? And that was like in the late seventies, you know, because my mother had a, 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 a radio and a record promoter come over. He said, 
Okay. After she had Motown and Columbia and I, I'd met with Clive Davis and everybody, cause I had, I had record deals. But when, when she said, she says, okay, if that's what you want to do saying, then I'm going to have some people come over and she would have them come over. They, they'd come over cause they come with, with flowers. Oh, queen, you made our record a hit. Like she, she was like uh, the DJ that wouldn't stick with the list. She'd go, I don't, I heard the other side. So I'm flipping yeah. it. You know, so she made things like neither one of us would be the first to say goodbye for for Gladys Knight and the Pips because she liked the other side. But, you know, in those days, they'd do a hit and the, the cover up, the, the the follow up hit would sound just like the other one, just slightly I, different. Yeah. And my mother went, nope, flip. And she did that for Barbara Streisand's Oh, Holy Night. Christmas album because a lot of people were saying we can't play that this Jewish woman singing these Christmas songs and she went oh good can I have it play as though she would play it I'm gonna play it twice <laughs> I'm playing it all day long because I like it so she became known as an artist maker and a hit maker you know mm -hmm. because she knew how to sell it and how do you sell Play it over and over again throughout right. the day. Bum, bum, put it on rotation. You know, you can't get away. And those deep, those promotion men would be standing in line trying to get in there because they knew she could do it. And she knew that that was part of But But see, one thing, if she didn't like it, if she liked you, she would try to help you. Like she helped me. Everybody would become like her children. I don't care how old they were. You know, so what, so when they would come over, uh, the, when I say they, the promo men or the record people, and they would say, uh, she, she'd say, uh, sit down. And I want you to listen to Diane saying, I was right out of college. I'd already, I was teaching high school, mm -hmm. but I was always performing on the weekend. And that's what I want to say too. Please, people get your education. I mean, it, it, it whatever it is, get right. some kind of certificate or something. Right. Be legit. Get get your license, you know, right. because people are going to they want to be approved that, that if they hire you to do the plumbing, you're not going to screw it up, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, I mean, be legit. Right. So. So. Um, and she'd say, listen to what she's doing and tell me what you think. And they would. They say, I, I think she's got something there. So when I finished teaching. And um, in Battle Creek, Michigan, Battle Creek Central High School, I taught choir. I was a choreographer. I got a lot of kids doing things all well. And then I perform on the weekend. So how do you how do you stay alive in this business of music? Well, uh, there's a long list of things that you can do other than being having to have attention. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way I feel about it. I mean, some people just have to be on stage constantly, yeah. you know, or they yeah. don't feel that their life is worth anything. So you're going to have to get busy finding meaning and purpose and other things. And if you want the music, there's lots of things that you can do in music. And don't go for that stuff. If you, if, if you teach, it's for people who can't do it because I can do it. I've done it. So, uh, and you, and the thing and the reward and Tracy, you're going to have a lot of people calling you. You're there calling you already uh, <laughs> who, uh, who will tell you what, what you said to them, what it meant to them. And you didn't even know who you touched. Mm -hmm. You think, you think nobody's looking at you. You have attention. You're just not aware. You're not aware. You put your, your, your focus and your mind uh, ahead in, in the, in the light 
I, you know, some people go to the dark side and they rip everybody off. I don't know what their karma is going to be like, but I, I, this is what I'm asking those who make it in this industry. Right. If you're going to take all the publishing, can you just figure out a way to help these people or give it back to them after a certain period of time? Exactly. Right. That's, you know, it's, it's not, it really isn't your legacy. It's your money, but it's, it's not, you didn't do it. Do have a, okay. You know, well, I guess what they're going to say next is only the good die young or no good, <laughs> no good thing goes unpunished. Well, right. you know, forget all that. I'm, I'm saying that it's time we've gone through too hard of a time with the, not only a pandemic, but a whole lot of things that's happening. We got a lot of light to shed so we can come out of this darkness on every side. Here, here. Here, you know here. what I'm saying, Tracy? Yeah. Oh, I hear you 100%. You know, and I, 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 it's funny is, is growing up, um, I didn't know a lot of the things about, uh, so you and I come from an era of when a band could really be millionaires as a band, you know, we're talking the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and, and Kiss and all these folks that were filling arenas. And you're like, ah, you know, you're as a, you know, as a teenage boy picking up your guitar for the first time, you got sparkles in your eyes. Like I want to be Eddie Van Halen kind of thing. Right. <laughs> right. Cause, cause those were your idols back then. But as time went on, and the stories finally came out. So many of those things were just polishing the apple, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, and, and that was maybe that was some of the cause of some of the downfalls of some of these artists. Yeah. And, and I think it happens across the board, not just artists, right? Where we were talking about actors earlier, some of the kids actors, we've heard, you know, some ugly stories of what's happened to some of the poor kids actors because they didn't have someone taking them along the path that they yeah. needed to, to travel, which I think was what, what your point was. Well, you need somebody to tell you the truth. And see, look, look, as soon as everybody gets so happy to be around you, I like people being around me. Right? They're happy. I know you're But what I'm saying is, you know, there are people that everybody means well. They, everybody wants to be happy. If you can, you only got so much of yourself to give. Mm -hmm. And you really have to save some, you have to be careful of some of the energy that's around you. Mm -hmm. You know? You got you, you to refill your own cup. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to keep refilling everyone else's cup. Exactly. Yeah? You can't be everything to everybody, so don't even try to be, and don't uh, don't be so afraid of being alone that you have to have somebody around you twenty four seven to verify and confirm that you're okay. That's what friends are for, right? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I was, I was, <laughs> I was on it. I was interviewing a young lady yesterday, and she she made a very similar point. Uh, we're from the same era, right? We're from yeah. the era when, you know, spanking was okay. Whatever your beliefs are with, that's fine. When I grew up, I got spanked if I did something wrong. I okay? did too. And then, you know, and then there was, you were put on restriction or you weren't allowed to see your friends, right? So it, it I never thought about it till she mentioned it, is that all of those punishments were putting you in a place by yourself, Right. Go to your room, no TV, no radio, no, no fun stuff, right? It's like, and they made it seem like being alone was bad, right? And if well, you were, 
You remember being in school, maybe if they didn't, if it wasn't, if paddles weren't allowed, you were put in a corner by yourself. You know, and it, it was almost like they were saying being alone was a bad thing. You know, for me, being alone was okay. I was okay being alone. I could draw. I could go inside my head and create, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think some of that has happened to us and has happened to you know, probably our current kids because social media is like, Hey, I'm with everybody. Hey, it's a party. I have to keep performing yeah. to, to keep getting the likes and the video views and all that noise. I was, good. I was just going to say that, you know, uh, it's a discipline that, that is imposed upon you that you feel is so unfair when you're younger. But how many times, I mean, my, my mother was strict. And I remember at one point she went, Nope. You're on lockdown. Well, she didn't use that word then, but uh, uh, but I remember being in the basement, my piano and I in the basement, and my uh, little uh, stereo and my 45s. Because you know, when 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 your your mother or dad is in the radio industry, you get free records. That's right. <laughs> they come in the mail. You get them before anybody gets a chance to listen to anything. I heard the Severn Brown and all, Jackson Brown, all of them before anybody. And, and, and oh, Roberta Flack. I heard her and I heard I heard Rufus, mm. Shaka Khan. And then I got this album and this guy sitting with these two other guys with all this hippie outfit on and everything. And I listened to it and I took it to my college and I went, you got to hear this. And everybody thought I was crazy. And then I played that thing for a, almost a year. And finally, I talked one fraternity guy said, "You for your fraternity thing, you got to play. Hey, Joe, <laughs> I knew about Jimi Hendrix before Kenny did. <laughs> That's hella funny. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, and I would listen to this stuff, you know, all this different stuff. And, and then uh, Roberta Flack, that her first time ever I saw you. Oh, my God. What okay. a beautiful song, right? She wasn't the first one to do it. But when I heard that song and that got that album, I, because she played piano and she was a teacher, like I was getting ready to be, I just, memorized i listened to the record and played it until i could play every song on that album mm. just by ear right and now i read you know sure i know kenny was talking about reading fly shit you know but i do read it very well but anyway so <laughs> i'm playing this album learning everything and i go to school and uh go in the dorm you know we, we our dorms were really locked down then too all girls dorms and oh, I'm sure. closed at a certain time and only so many people could come into the, the front area and look at TV. So I would play the piano for everyone. I oh. didn't even know what I was doing. I was just playing. So they let me play and, uh, and I would play her songs and sing them under my breath. And, you know, so that year went all through high uh, college. Then I, my, the year that I student taught at Battle Creek Central, I was in a choir and I played for the kids. They went, do you sing and play? And I went, well, they'll sing and play something for us. So I sang and I had all already been singing first time ever I saw your face and uh, uh, our, our ages or our hearts and all this. And, uh, uh, and at the club, they said, who's, who, who wrote that song? I said, Roberta Flack, Roberta, who they thought I wrote it. 
No. After a while, I kind of let them think I wrote it. But, uh, <laughs> but then, and when I went to the high school, there was another song that uh, Roberta Flack, I can't even think of what it is now. And it was, uh, and it was for an assembly and I sang it and everybody went out and bought the record. And that was the same year that, um, uh, uh, oh my God, the actor. Oh God, the one that's up in, oh, Clint Eastwood. Okay. Clint Eastwood did, what was that? Not Fatal Attraction, but. Uh, oh, he did the, oh yeah. It was, it was the same thing. Uh, somebody haunting, I mean, stalking him. So uh, what was the name of that? Uh, <laughs> so uh, that yeah, I'm drawing a blank now. <laughs> somebody, oh, this is, is this live? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so listen, somebody's going to write in and they're going to know the name of that, that movie. But uh, um he played first time ever in that movie. And I went, I've been doing this song for years. <laughs> I can't remember the movie. I know it was, it was all uh, filmed in Carmel, which is north north of us. It's fabulous up there. Oh, it's oh, just fabulous. It's a beautiful country up there. Yeah. Didn't you used to come around here? I did. I did uh, travel that way. I'm actually, my, uh, my now wife is from the Bay Area. Oh, and uh, I was in Southern California, so you know, traveling that to pieces. I've made that trip. Oh, many times. listen, you got to go to Monterey. If you come back up here, we have to go oh. meet up in Carmel. Oh, absolutely! One of my one of our favorite places to stay is just about ten minutes inland from yeah. Monterey, and what so yeah, we we will we go up there. We haven't been there a couple of years for obvious reasons. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it might be a few more months or another year, but but when you do. We have to meet up there. We haven't been up there in a long time. But and every time I go up there, I think of this movie. <laughs> okay, so one of your listeners is going to write write us and tell us what the name of the movie is. Oh, I can't sure. think of the movie. Was it was it Clint Eastwood? Yes, it was Clint Eastwood. Oh, was yeah. It, was it, uh, it, was, it was around the Dirty Harry days, wasn't it? Or was it before? I think it was before the Dirty Harry days. Uh, Maybe it was okay, playing Misty so, for me. Anyway. Yeah, I turned my phone off because my cousin was calling. So, <laughs> so now I'll, uh, anyway, so. Play Misty for me. Play that. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Yes. I remember it now. Oh, and it was before Dirty yeah. Harry days. You're good. I love movies, man. I love me some movies. Oh, well, you know, he's a jazz guy. He loves jazz. And he plays piano, too. I had no idea. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, so, it, so it, loop me up. What are you? What are you doing these days? What's keeping? What's keeping Diane busy these days? I know right now your hubby's off in Montana, and I know they're, they're supposed to be hitting the road pretty heavy starting in like September. So, yes. what fills your days nowadays? Uh, Memoirs of a Daughter, which ah. is about uh, now. See, Kenny wrote. Uh, a book called It's All Green about my family and the newborn family. So he's got the timelines and everything. Uh, so we're going to kind of tweak, tweak that. But my memoirs of the daughter is, is, uh, uh, you know, about my family, mm-hmm. how I look at things that, you know, I, I was, do you know who Sonny Hostin is? She's yeah, on the view. She's on the view. Yes. With okay. Yeah. Okay. She's the, she's the lawyer, but she y- just yesterday she said, I finished my book and uh, it's my views of when I was growing up. And she says, I got to tell you, it was kind of hard because I had a lot of people in the family mad at me and, you know, people, yeah. well, you know, uh, you can tell a story, but listen, 
sometimes you will not move to do what you need to do if everything's just honky-dory and, you know, everything's just bright. And, you know, sometimes things have either got to force you to do it or piss you off enough mm-hmm. to change or confront you or challenge you to do it. And sometimes life circumstances, sometimes all the time, yeah. life circumstances take you to where, you know, if, if, if you're not paying attention, life will life or God or the guidance or it, it karma, whatever it is you, that, that makes you understand this will arrive in your spirit somewhere or outside of you to, to, show you what what you're going to have to do to kick you in the butt whop you upside the head whatever it takes to get you to do what you need to do i don't really want to get kicked in the butt so i'd rather just look at the signs and go you know so so you know it's like uh, sometimes you know obedience to what your gut feeling is is uh that's just the spirit trying to tell you what to do and sometimes we just don't have enough faith to go that way we just either self-doubt or we're just afraid so um but uh memoirs of a daughter will be um i see some of the stuff is quite comedic (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's all how you look at a thing but um and also the uh stage a show, uh, one woman show that, and you know, Kenny's going to be with me in this show in the band, but, uh, I, it, it's almost going to be like a, a mini, uh, theatrical thing, musical in that, uh, uh, it'll be uh, what my experiences are, how I can, all the things I've talked to you mm-hmm. today, um, I'll be able to put original music and songs. My grandpa, his original things, you know, uh, that he taught me when I was little and talk about the people that I met and how it molded me with the music that goes along mm. and pushes that forward. So from coming from uh, classical, but all the jazz, the, right. the people I've met, the jazz people I met, the, the jug band people I met, you know, I, I met Gus Cannon when I was like, uh, seven or eight years old and we just thought that he was this guy that mowed the lawn and, and needed help everyone. this guy had a jug band in memphis the gus cannon jug band and he wrote a song that uh uh walk right in sit right down. yes what a great a song. he wrote that and and peter paul and mary made a ragtime banjo blues we're talking about here right it's jug band, man. Yeah. When you start talking about jazz, you gotta go back. You you gotta go and see what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, through my by becoming educated, <laughs> I, <laughs> I found that uh, um, uh, there was Howling Wolf. There was a uh, um, give oh Bo Diddley. Okay. Do you know what a diddly bow is? No. Okay, well, when you didn't have any instruments, remember those guys out there with WC playing on whatever? Yeah. They did? Okay, and and look, musical instruments are out in nature. Rattles from rattlesnakes and did shells and whatever. You know, it's skins and we, you know, it's there for us. Yeah. But when you wanted that guitar sound, they they would have these these clapboard houses, you know, mm-hmm. and if you couldn't do it. You just put like that string. See, see, Kenny's gonna get me because he's more technical at this denial but i saw the pictures of the young kid they would put the strings on the side of this clapboard aluminum i don't know aluminum siding or whatever mm-hmm. it is just yeah. poor folks needing it and put it up there and just play this thing and it was called a diddly bow 
I can picture I, I can picture you talking about it. It's, it and, and usually when you see it in a picture, it's the cliche. I'm going to use the phrase hillbilly and his little guitar with maybe one or two strings. Over yeah, they a, have a slightly they have bent piece. Yeah, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. So, you know, it's like, uh, and look, I want to tell anybody out there, uh, I, I can't play guitar because I don't have one. Get creative. <laughs> You want to play right. music? You're gonna figure out something in your house, or to, or you're gonna go to somebody. It's out there in nature. Make it. It's invent there. something. That's right. Be no, the first you're right, one. You're right. <laughs> so that's a diddly bow, and I, I, you know, it almost reminds me of a slide guitar. A slide. Mm -hmm. a slide what is that? Slide guitar. A steel guitar, they call them now. Steel guitar. Yeah, yeah. Out of the house. Yeah. I don't know what it sounded like, but it was a diddly bow, and I and I went ah. Is that how he got his name, Bo Diddley? That's and then back to my mom with Princess Premium stuff, and I'm going to make this real short. She hated sure. that. She was this little Pocahontas thing, and they called her Princess Premium stuff. And then they kept, after the show was over for the Goodwill Review, where they found that they will find your teeth and everything else. No. <laughs> <laughs> the concert. Oh, oh, I can't let this go. In those days, uh, for the Goodwill Review, it was at the Ellis Auditorium, and it was a the theater. The stage was in the middle, and when uh, all the stars would come out, Ray Charles, uh, Solomon Burke. Solomon Burke is my my daughter's uh, godfather, by the way. You know who Solomon Burke is? Okay, educate you. Okay. No, no, but uh, uh, they would have the black audience on one side and the white audience on the other. What's very interesting is they're looking at each other, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that in the area. Yeah. And a huge auditorium. And, but but the hit had to be sung on the white side of the, the stage. And then they would sing everything. I mean, That's it crazy. was really something to see. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I just thought I'd bring that up. I don't yeah. know why. But uh, <laughs> so she had Princess Premium stuff, but then they kept one. And in fact, that was the one, the Indian, the, all the... um. The DJs were dressed as um, uh, Native Americans and uh, with the headdress on. And Rufus Thomas had this headdress on. And then he was going to make this great surprise for the audience. And there's a picture of Rufus Thomas with his headdress on. And then this guy jumping from behind the curtain with it halfway wrapped around him. And it was Elvis. Yeah. You know, so my mother was on that stage, he was, I see, I was too young to go. And she was saying, yeah, Elvis came into my, you know, she already had the queen in her brain. That's another thing. Um, people cel celebrate, go where you're celebrated. You, you have to learn things where you're not so celebrated, but, uh, but go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated, but get energy mm. from where they don't tolerate you. Go, hmm, I don't know. I got energy from going, oh, is that what they're going to do? Well, let's see about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then just find joy. Don't don't get so destroyed on rejection or being alone. You know, be the royal person within yourself, mm. and don't be a jerk. Oh, I, excuse me, I'm sorry. Just don't be a jerk. I mean, I, okay. <clears throat> Let me get back to uh, uh, my mom. Uh, in that, uh, oh, I'm all over the place. You may have to edit this because that's I, okay. I, We're good. Okay. No, this is this is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will, and then I heard from our babysitter. Said, well, yeah, Elvis came in, and he was because my mother was a very attractive woman. I kind of looked like her, but uh, uh, 
Elvis was looking in the mirror and he had his, you know, doing his doing the comb. Yeah. Yeah. And he go, I'm I'm a good looking man, aren't I? Now I know you'd never heard Elvis talk like this, but you know, you don't know what people are saying in other rooms behind it. Okay. So um and she said, Yes, you are. I know because I'm a good looking woman. So ah! I mean, that's what that my mother had a lot of you know, and uh so she went back to the radio station and they were going princess premium. So she went, no, 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 no. You're not calling me that. I'm not going to respond to that anymore. Uh, and if you do, I'm just going to just watch you and have dead air. And we know for radio, that is not yes. a good thing. Yeah. So um, the guy said, ladies and gentlemen, Martha Jean. And she looked at him and he went, she went, I don't care what you do. I, yeah, I rhyme it. I don't care. And he went, Martha Jean, the queen. And she went, well, yeah. That, that's more like it. Well, you know, then they, they started calling her the country queen, you know, could be from down south and all of that. But after a while, everybody started to believe it. And she said, I call myself the queen because, and because, you know, if you don't have anything, I mean, think about it. We didn't have much. So people like Duke Ellington and Count Basie and, you know, I mean, the Empress, the Empress of Soul, you have to call yourself a, the, the queen of soul, Aretha Franklin. You claim, claim it. Claim it. it. Own it. You, That's right. When you claim it, and when you when you have decided that there's something that you want to do, <laughs> listen, I'm I'm talking to myself right now too. But when you have decided that there's something, and, and you feel the fear, I I hate to steal a, an ad right here, but feel the fear and do it anyway. Yes. Do it. You know. I mean, uh, uh, you'll have op other opportunities, but you know, just. Uh, and, and all and I guess is still the same thing, same old thing. One door closes, another one is open, will open, but you got to close that one. Yep. Okay. I don't know why I'm getting into this today. <laughs> You're good. It's oh, it's good. I think oh. it's jumped into my bones right now. <laughs> Your mom's uh, so talking for me, you. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's the um, the one woman show. Kenny and I, uh, you know, we've got a lot of ideas how we're how we're going to do this, and then take it on the road. Of course, Memphis and Detroit. I got friends in New York. I got Tracy Brinkman now. We'll come to York. Right. You gotta come to Milwaukee. Come on, <laughs> Milwaukee. Yeah, and uh, and then the other thing is uh, we're working on a. Um, we're just about to close this deal on a documentary about my mother. I, it's, it's actually a sizzle reel, but I've been approached for several things. I've been approached for her, uh, you know, to, to do uh, Rolling Stone. So if and when it happens, I'll let you know. I don't want to just talk out in the No, constantly. yeah, no, absolutely. But these, but these things take, uh, uh, it takes time. And, uh, you know, so we're just trying to make sure the deal is right, mm. that the deal is fair, absolutely. and that... Uh, that the legacy will hold up. And so the, 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 the legacy will hold up. We want to make sure that it's presented properly. Correct. And, um, cast it correctly and, uh, get it with the right fit. So, yeah. and, 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 and so that's going on in the meantime, um, I'm, uh, rocking the fiercely gray hair right now. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper was a wonderful thing, but we all move on and become much better versions of ourselves. And, um, I will always be a teacher as a teacher. I always entertain to get their attention. <laughs> and as an entertainer, I will always teach because I can't help myself. So nice. Yeah. That was fire right there. I will always well, be a teacher that entertains and always be an entertainer that teaches. 
amazing. What's, I mean, what what's the point in, in not not leaving something good behind? And you know what? I, I got somebody said this to me too. If you tell somebody, if you if you are going to be a bearer of the truth for your friend, or you want to tell them something that will truly help them, because look, you know, it, it's hard to, to take people's input sometimes. That's why we need Tracy Brinkman, who can tell you <laughs> the positive ways to do it and get on with it already. <laughs> oh, thank and you. We have all the steps and everything to do. But if you have a friend who's really just not not rocking reality right now, or, or maybe there's something that you can tell them just to be better about the hairdo or the makeup or something, whatever, right. uh, where they smell, I don't know. But whenever you want to tell somebody something and it's going to leave them a little broken with the truth, even if it's some a deep emotional thing. If you're going to deliver that, then you need to be the one to to have the the spiritual band aid afterwards. Yes. To know that it's going. You if you're going to tell somebody what's wrong with them, you better have something of love to tell them how to make it right or shut your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Don't be smacking them upside with a baseball bat unless you're going to patch the wound up. I'm with you on yeah. that. Yeah, you yeah. know what? And if and if and if people if if, if, if you want to ask somebody a question and they're uncomfortable with your questions, then they, you know you got to figure they're shielding an agenda or something. Mm-hmm. You know, why would anybody be uncomfortable with your questions? If you want to learn and get out there, and when you when you are out there getting your questions answered, and don't be afraid to answer the questions. That's why the wonderful things. I, I have to say it again. Uh, with, with dark horse uh, entrepreneurial uh, advice and and with tracing the people who are coming on, uh, you have a you have a resource here where you can write in jo- join it and then write in and ask those questions. And um, if you ever if anybody ever wants to ask me a question, I'm here uh, for whatever it might be that I can help them with and just have maybe the attitude or or whatever you know, Tracy. That's, I appreciate uh, that you asked me to come on. No, it's been my pleasure, and I appreciate. I mean, we've just what well, we've we've been we've been running at it here an hour already, and and I oh, want to be sorry. mindful of you. No, yeah. you're no, it's gold, uh, okay. and and I absolutely appreciate every one of those minutes. But I do want to be mindful of your time. Yes, um, if if anyone wants to reach out to Miss Diane Steinberg Lewis and, and 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 follow up and you know keep up with the book or the one woman show or anything else you got going on, is there any place we can send them to where they can keep an eye on you? You know what? Uh, you can definitely come on Facebook and see me. Uh, Kenny's been after me for a long time, and I, Tracy. I'm ashamed not to be the entrepreneurial uh, uh, model that I should be with all <laughs> of my hashtags and everything. But uh, this is going to be set up. Just go Diane Steinberg, Lewis. I have two pages. I've been restricted on one. <laughs> mm. uh, you've been a naughty girl. <laughs> well, no, I told my, my daughter put a picture up of me and I didn't like it on Mother's Day. And I was just kidding. I went, oh, I'm going to kill you. So Facebook thought that I was uh, a terrorist. Make, making threats, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yes, and... Um, and 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 messenger me messenger me on Facebook and then you know I I'll uh, send me your telephone number I'll call you. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, 
I'm going to reach out to you. We're going to figure out how to get you set up with a website. We're going to get you started on that right away. Thanks, well, Tracy. No, my pleasure. <laughs> Diane, again, thanks so much for coming on and sharing some of the history that is just imbues your family and you, obviously, uh, across you. time. And we're going to have to do this again in a few months and, and, and catch up with, you know, what's going on with the book and the one woman show and just, you know. Yeah, I just get so into storytelling that I, you know, I've had three albums and I, I've done gospel albums and I've also wrote the theme song for evening at the improv that a lot of mm -hmm. people, you know, so, I mean, there, there's theater things that I've done and get, you know, well, we'll have it all available for you. There's Absolutely. so much to cover. I, I just think that there's more important things to talk about in being able to survive this industry. So. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. All right, Diane, thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy. God bless you. I love you. And uh, everybody, kick ass. <laughs> Oops. Man, there you have it, my Dark Horse friends and family. Diane Steinberg-Lewis dropping historical musical bombs on us. All kinds of golden nuggets in there. What thoughts resonated with you? There was so much. Of course, I'm not going to share all of them, but here are a few thoughts that uh, I kind of hung on. Thought number one, learning from the alleyways. Diane was sharing the story uh, and the history of W.C. Handy and how back in the day when he was coming up, he would go to the alleyways of Memphis and write down the music of the amazing artists that were sharing their craft. Now, he was doing this because most of them could not write or read music back in those days. In essence, if you think about it, he was preserving their artistic legacy via his pen. And I can only imagine the pure energy coming from these artists of their time and the excitement that Mr. Handy had in not only hearing this raw talent, but being able to save that talent in written form. And think about it. Imagine the impact that had on his own music career as well, right? Because in, in case you really didn't know how very influential he was, he became known as the father of the blues. Okay, I get it. Okay, Tracy, that's all cool and kind of interesting. But what does that do with you and your business? Well, let me tell you. To me, the lesson inside there is that there are harsh realities that need to be faced in life and in business. And these folks, they were facing those realities on a daily basis. And not even indirectly, but like all up in your face facing them. I mean, listen to the music they created, filled with the trials and the tribulations of the times that they were experiencing. Look, I'm not saying you have to live in a harsh reality, but I do want to share more in episode 241, the harsh entrepreneurial realities that you need to be aware of. Thought number two, Become an expert in your craft. Yeah, Diane shared how she started young in her craft, taking piano lessons on that beat-up old piano from the pastor's house, then dance lessons and so on. Diane even reminded us of the one thing that, it, oh, excuse me, she reminded us that if that's the one thing that you wake up wanting to do, and it's the instrument or the tool or the craft that you go straight towards after school is over, then you're in. 
right? Her husband, Kenny Lee Lewis, also shared the importance, well, I should say her and her husband, Kenny Lee Lewis, shared the importance of becoming an expert in your craft. They both mentioned, as many of us in the entrepreneurial space have heard, they mentioned that that 10,000 hour rule in becoming an expert. Now, if you have a natural talent um, towards whatever it is that you want to become an expert at it, do not sit on your butt, right? Do not take it for granted and ride on that current talent alone. Get out there and invest in those 10,000 hours to turn that natural talent into a rock solid expertise. Because trust me, I have and so many of us have seen those less talented folks exceed those abilities of those with a natural talent more than once. But here's the question. What do I do when I'm taking in those 10,000 hours that Diane and Tracy and Kenny all say that we need to be uh, taking in, right? What do I do during those hours that we're all talking about? It's a valid question. I want to spend some time answering that in episode 242, Steps to Becoming an Expert at Your Craft or Business. Thought number three, getting the input of others. Diane shared a great point about getting the input of others to improve your own expertise. In her example, she was talking about some of the musicians of today as in now, 2021, the time of this recording, the musicians of today are using the online tools and tech to be able to do it all themselves. You know, they, like they don't need a guitarist. They don't need a drummer or a keyboardist, etc. With the tools at their fingertips, they can, and some many are, like many of us entrepreneurs are, doing it all themselves. And look, don't get it twisted. There's a time and a place for that, right? Circumstances could warrant that you have to do it all yourself. How many of us entrepreneurs are wearing all the hats? I'm wearing the marketing hat and I'm wearing the sales hat and I'm wearing the manager hat, right? I'm wearing the customer service hat. But at the moment you're able to, and I would even say the moment you can make yourself be able to, you should solicit the input of others. Get them involved in your music in your movement, in your business. It's this outside set of ideas and thoughts and insights that can take what you have birthed and make it bloom and even get it to blow up. This, my friend, is a kind of social intelligence, right? Having this skill to bring in and deal with people from various backgrounds and beliefs with compassion. It's a skill that, uh, well, maybe it's not just a skill. Maybe it's even an art that I think everyone should empower themselves with. Because if you think about it, it's one of those really essential ingredients of entrepreneurial se- uh, success. Wow. <laughs> A little Freudian slip there. It's one of those most essential ingredients of entrepreneurial success, not to mention personal happiness, right? I'm going to dig a little bit deeper in this uh, in the Facebook group, uh, probably tomorrow or the next day. And we're going to chat about social intelligence uh, or how social intelligence can ensure your entrepreneurial success. Thought number four, grow your toolbox. Diane shared how her father was not a fan of that rock and roll. But she was always willing to check out, she still still is willing to check out whatever new music or whatever's new is going on in the artistic world. She said it was part of growing her toolbox. 
I have to agree with her 120% on this fact. If I can go back for a moment to my top 10 corporate, corporate career days, one of the biggest advancements, heck, all of some of the all of the biggest advancements advancements I made in my business and my career were directly as a result of looking outside my immediate corporate arena, the corporate culture that I was in, and the influences uh, of other businesses, models, and methods and processes. Right, really had a huge impact and directly result in, in a lot of my leaps forward in my corporate career. And I can give a specific example that kind of comes to mind is during my uh, Coca-Cola North America marketing days, I had the opportunity to tour uh, Disney World, uh, more specifically their behind the scenes logistics centers and, and all the equipment and processes that they have that move the products that they need around that happiest place on earth uh, in order to serve their visitors. Now, I had it really had zero to do with my business, but I was able able to come away with some ideas out of that that I would not have had had I not taken this tour. Uh, one of those ideas, um, if I remember correctly, was called the Golden Zone. This is where, if you imagine, in a warehouse, right, the, all the racking systems stacked way high, um, where you would have the most accessed product. Um, in the quickest reach for the people that were coming to pick it. So if they're coming to walk up to pick it, it would be between, be between their shoulders and their waist. That would be the golden zone, right? Um, if they were coming on a forklift, it could be a little higher um, but to pick it, but it would be in this quickest, quickest area of reach. That would be this golden zone. Now, within that golden zone, you would review items that were often picked together and place them close in proximity to one another. Now take that one step further and let's call it a silver zone. And those are going to be those items that are often picked with items that are in the golden zone, but they're not quite uh, picked often enough to be in that golden zone. So those will be put just above or next to the items in this golden zone. Now I took this idea to a warehouse facility in Knoxville, Tennessee that uh, did the bulk of our marketing material fulfillment and I created a time study. Long story short, as a result of this new idea in the study, I was able to reduce the pick times and thus the picking costs by 24%. Now this was able to, uh, this was uh, affording us the ability to negotiate lower pricing with this organization while, here is the catch, improving their bottom line at the same time. Win, win, and big ass win, right? So please, please keep growing your toolbox. You never know just when some random thought, idea, or skill will become your most valuable asset. Actually, I even want to take this one step further and start you off with a call it as toolbox starter set. Uh, later on this week in the Dark Horse Tribe Facebook group, I'm going to be giving you the seven essential tools that you need in your entrepreneurial toolbox. And phew, this was a long one, guys. I'm sorry about that, but I couldn't chop this up and I can't leave without sharing this last thought. Thought number five, purpose and serving. Diane reminded us that when you come up with something that helps make other people's lives a little bit easier, maybe it even solves a problem they've been struggling with for a long time, that, my friend, is purpose. That 
is serving. Yeah, yeah. You want to entertain them. You want to inform and educate them. But you want to lift people up. Your prospects, your customers, your clients. Heck, even if you're, even your staff, if you have it, you want them to feel better after engaging with you, engaging with your product or your service or even your marketing materials. You want them to feel better after that than they did before the engagement. And, and yeah, right? We, we want to make some money from all our efforts, but coming from a true place of service first is where this magic really begins. Give first, then trust me when I say the universe will give back to you. Then what should you do? <laughs> give back more, rinse and repeat. Don't be a take, take, taker. Be a give, give, giver. And in the end, you will not have to take because you will have so much given back to you that you will want to continue to give more and more. Phew! So much jam-packed into our time together today. And I know this is a, a one of our longer episodes, but man, I couldn't cut any of the gems that Diane was sharing out of this episode. I just, I couldn't do it. It just didn't feel right. All right. Now, in our next interview episode, our guest is Richard Mack. Now, Sheriff Mack is the founder of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Offers Association, CSPOA. He's also an author, a speaker, and obviously, a former sheriff. Richard Mack has also served in a wide variety of roles uh, over the course of his nearly 20-year career in law enforcement, which began in the Provo Police Department in Provo, Utah. Sheriff Mack has even served a year as an undercover narcotics agent. Now, not too long ago, I published an episode on standing up for what you believe in. To me, Sheriff Mack is the epitome of this mantra. Probably why I want to make sure to bring him on. See, he took his beliefs as far as the Supreme Court in a landmark 5-4 split decision based on the 10th Amendment of the United States Constitution. Now, Mac won this case, one of the most precedent-setting states' rights cases in the history of our country. You do not want to miss this episode. And I know you don't want to, you want to keep getting, you don't want to, I know you want to keep getting all these valuable tips, inspirational stories from the amazing guests I'm lucky enough to be able to bring on. So please make sure you go on down there, smash that subscribe button while you're there. Leave us a five-star rating and some kind words in the reviews. Heck, ask a question, give me some suggestions, offer, offer some constructive criticism. I read every single one of those reviews. And of course, don't keep all this entrepreneurial G-O-L-D all to yourself. Share the podcast with other entrepreneurs and business owners you know will get value from it. And with that, I'm going to leave you as I always do. Think successfully and take action. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman.